Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. New Zealand grows great oats and makes excellent oat milk in Sweden. That's right, New Zealand oats are shipped to Sweden where they are processed and returned to our shores to be bottled and sold as New Zealand made. That hardly seems the sustainable alternative we all hoped for. The madness of that scenario is finally being redressed by a new player, the Boring Oat Milk Company. And I'm joined by Boring founder and former cracker entrepreneur and one-time barista Morgan Moore. Morgan, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Vincent. Great to be here. Cool. Where are you actually joining me from? I feel like, you know, every time I interview someone, I find out a little bit about their lives, about how COVID is forcing them into cupboards and bathrooms and lounges and things. Where, tell me, where did you launch the Boring Oat Milk Company under lockdown four? Yeah, well, it was uh, the latter was in my lounge. I am in a rental in Greylin. And yeah, so level four started two days before we launched Boring. And you know, I sort of have a quote that I say now is that COVID is what happens when you make plans. And um, that certainly was the case for us. But yeah, I mean, launching then has meant all of our fancy launch plans have completely um, just gone to the wayside. But we have had a lot of people on their devices, on their phones, um, you know, looking at social media. So we've had a lot of attention. So I guess with the downsides, there's been upside. As with business, you just got to roll with it. How many weeks have you been in the market now? Oh, like, so how long, how long have we been in lockdown? Is it nearly five weeks? Five weeks, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just under five weeks. The response event has been extraordinary. And the response has been extraordinary from who? T- tell me about what's been happening since launch. I guess like to take it back a, a while, you know, when I first looked into doing an oat milk three years ago, nobody really knew what an oat milk was, apart from in the UK and America. And so it was still relatively unknown. So when I'd go and speak to retailers then and potential investors and things like that, people were like, oh, yeah, but it, it sounds pretty niche. Whereas now a, a lot of people are really aware of it. There's been a lot of press about companies from overseas doing it and just how great it is for the environment and how it's sort of rising and overtaking soy as the second best selling plant milk. So Mm. I think everybody's known about oat like people have been learning more about oat milk and the questions are coming up time and time again like okay yeah oats grow well in New Zealand we know what oat milk is but why isn't anyone making it here and people kept asking that question and so when we launched a lot of people have just been saying great you're here we've been waiting for this and mm. um, trade definitely like retailers have told us that they've stopped accepting in any new oat milks because there's so many of them um, but they'll accept us because we're a New Zealand made one being New Zealand made has just opened up so many doors and cafes here um, a lot of cafe owners um, baristas are pretty woke and aware like aware of their impact and sustainability and so a lot of the cafe owners are just saying like just really stoked that we've got a oat milk that's made here and not just from the sustainability perspective but also supply because with covid there's been huge shipping issues if you go if you look on the supermarket shelves a lot of the plant milks are out of stock but that's not an issue for us Hmm. yeah there are new zealand brands i'm thinking otis and all good there must be others as well is there room for 
so many brands and tell us about the the scale of the opportunity because it is growing i think if i saw a figure of it growing 190 percent at the moment occupying good chunks of the supermarket shelf now but what is the natural limit do you think of the oat milk market well i mean we've still got a way to go in new zealand because you've got almond milk is well and truly number one and then it's 60 percent actually 60 percent of all um plant milk sales around the world is almond so almond's still, you know, well and truly the leader, but soy is a close second and then oats third. But you're right, it is growing in comparison to other players and brands and those other plant milks, oats still really under, under indexed. So um, there's plenty of scope and especially with this growth. And if we're, which I think we will, to follow suit of other countries and, you know, oat becomes second fiddle to, and hopefully first to almond, then yeah, there's still opportunity there. But I mean, as with everything, there's always, you get a time when something like this is popular and you get a lot of new players coming in and then you sort of have a, a few drop off. So it will be really interesting to see, like fast forward in three years time, it'll be interesting to see who of the dairy players have come in because I think that will definitely be a thing and who of us smaller guys are, are left standing. Why is Southland so good at growing oats? What is the conditions, the environmental conditions for growing down there that makes it so successful? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it's perfect for growing oats. It requires like little to no irrigation because of the rainfall. And so the big part is the rainfall. And the next is the long daylight hours. So oats are typically, majority of them are planted in spring and harvested in autumn. So you have these long daylight hours, which is, gives a great amount of time for that photosynthesis period and the grain, what they call the grain fill, which is the oat plant to actually grow. So by having those long daylight hours, the good amount of rainfall, it just makes for the perfect conditions. You need like little to no irrigation whatsoever to grow oats on there. And then also as well, they are very nitrogen hungry. And so a big issue with New Zealand is around our intensive farming. You know, a lot of our soils are really heavy in those nitrates. So putting, putting the oats in there helps soak that up and just create a more balanced soil structure. We're going to come back to some of the sustainability aspects later, but I'm curious also about why it's been so hard to process oats in New Zealand. Oh, yeah, I know. It shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like we're a, we're a farming nation, so we grow this crop really well. We also have a lot of manufacturing capability in New Zealand and a lot of UHT lines. You know, we produce heaps of UHT milk and dairy milk and send it overseas. But um, the issue is, is all of these UHT lines are only set up to process liquids. So I went and spoke to nearly all of them and they said to, all said to me the same thing. They said, Morgan, yeah, we'll look at processing your oat milk, but you have to deliver it to us in liquid form, like in a milk tanker, and then we can do the processing. And so that was the issue, and that is the issue, is getting that sort of, getting the oats converted to a liquid. I had so many conversations and so many conversations that went absolutely nowhere and then I met these apple juice manufacturers in the Hawke's Bay because so I thought you know they've got the same issue they've got well not issue they've got the same challenge they've got this crop that they have to then get into liquid form and then send it to get processed and so I went and spoke to the guys that were handling their, oh, their apples and you know asked them what sort of kit they had and what was the process and figured out that it was quite similar to what we needed for oat milk hmm. but that was still two years ago that I started those conversations so even though they had 
a lot of the right equipment. We still needed to order more. And with COVID, you know, supply chains and compliance as well, like I underestimated how long it would take. So that, that first part of the process, getting the oats into like, you know, milling them down and getting them into a liquid form, that's a bit that nobody's been able to solve. But you have now. And so those um, Apple processors, are they now able to market that capability to other oat brands and and other crop brands to to develop different types of milk and opportunities? Yeah, definitely. They said they were really interested and they'd been looking at doing this anyway. And they'd tried to do it. They had done a disaster that had a disastrous trial of trying to make oat base this we call this but oat base and it didn't work so they were like you know you can try it but you've got to pay for all the trials and um we've tried it and didn't really work so kind of good luck to you you can use our kit but it probably won't work so I mean I was lucky to have a really good beverage technologist who's also a processing engineer who we work together her combined with her expertise and like 30 years experience and my intensive googling skills <laughs> we figured out um, a way of, of of how it should be processed but during that you know yeah we we taught them a lot we worked together about taught, teaching them a lot about how to actually process this milk and um, and also around the enzymation step that's a really big part of any oat milk's IP is the enzymes that you use and how long you use them for and mm-hmm. so there's thousands of types of enzymes that you can use. And we trialed hundreds and we've found a combination that um, gives us the like sweetness profile that we really like. And same with the viscosity. So yes, these processes will be able to kind of use like to sell oat base to others, but they wouldn't be able to use like our same enzymation combination. So that's mm-hmm. sort of our mm-hmm. IP. So They'll have to work with other um, companies and, and other companies will want to do that as well. You know, they'll want a slight, depending on the use case for them, like if they're making an oat yogurt, they'll want a slightly different um, profile and the same with, you know, oat stout or something like that. So, yeah, they've now got the capability that they can sell this oat base as an ingredient, um, which is pretty cool. Mm, that's very cool. There's been talk for six months or so about building a big processing plant in Southland. Uh, I think that possibly up to a, I read, up to 25 million litres a year. Has that progressed? And, and if it has, if it does, uh, would you make use of that facility? Yes, it has progressed. I've heard that they are sort of at the investment stage. Um, you know, these things take time. They Even once they close off that investment round, it will probably take about 24 months for them to order the kit, get it commissioned mm-hmm. and, you know, get it up and running. So it's still quite a way off. But, you know, it's only going to be great things for the sort of New Zealand oat brand because, yeah, as it stands, you know, there's not a lot of capability there. No, well, we've actually partnered up with our manufacturer. So our processor, the Apple Press and the Hawks Base, we've, we've got our manufacturing up there. So, no, we won't, we won't be looking down south. Right. Okay. So you, you get this oat base and then yeah. you, you use enzymes to then further refine it or to process it into into what? Yeah. So the enzymes break down the starches and release the sugars. That gives it the good sweetness profile, nice texture. Then you separate it um, because you've got what you've got is a sort of slurry of oats um, and water and but it's got a lot of um, particles in there. So you need to get those out. And so you separate the solid from the liquid 
And then the solid, what we do with it currently is we sell that off for animal feed, but we're doing some work at the moment um, to looking to convert that into a plant protein and Mm. plant protein for human consumption as well. So another value-add product out of this whole value chain. And then what we have is the oat base. It's like a concentrated sort of sweet um, liquid that goes into a milk tanker goes down the road um, to the apple press, then the the manufacturers, and then what they do is they put it into these big batching tanks and add our other ingredients. So we use sunflower oil, which gives it good mouthfeel, helps it foam with coffee, so it helps it it give a good froth to get you that nice nerdy term, but microfoam. And, um, and then other ingredients are added. So, you know, you've got your, um, your sea salt, your vitamin B, vitamin um, B2, B2, B12, and calcium. Then it goes through like UHT lines, so heat treated and homogenizer, and then gets bottled. And so our bottles are actually blown on the line um, as well. And so it just means that they're really sterile and it gives it a, a, a 12-month shelf life. Yes, that's the process you have to make oat milk. Are you able to say what volumes you are expecting in the, I don't know, say the, the first year? Yeah, we're, we're looking at a million litres for New Zealand, predominantly New Zealand and a little bit of Aussie, but uh, that's not even taking into account, I mean, if if we you know get into the big supermarkets at Aussie, but especially not taking into account China. So that is the next market that we're seriously looking into. But mm. um, as you can imagine, we're just... Uh, being very careful and considered about it. And, um, I mean, it's quite an exciting market because they're predominantly plant milk drinkers anyway. And and then you have the sort of, you know, the rising middle class and the children of those rising middle class who are drinking more coffee. So there's a more of a coffee culture. And even though you'd think, you know, how could boring oat milk, the word boring, how could that work in a culture like China where it is like the complete antithesis of what they typically like? But what we're finding is that, um, yeah, a lot of the like, sort of children of, of the rising middle class are um, wanting things that are different. They're not wanting to buy what their like, mum and dad are mm. buying and sort of wanting to rebel. So, yeah, there's some interesting work that's going on there, but a million litres for the first year, just predominantly for New Zealand. And... Um, who knows after that? <laughs> Who knows? Fantastic. I I read that New Zealand farmers produce about thirty three thousand tons of oats a year. That yeah. could grow, right? If you if you could find a market for that, um, I mean, how, g- give me a sense of how much thirty three thousand tons. What does that produce in volume terms? Oh, gosh, good question. I need to work that out. <laughs> um, well, let me rephrase the question. Is is that a lot? And could you, could you uh, where, where does most of that go? Does it go into into cereals or uh, Yeah, no, feed? most, to be honest, only just over 50% of it, of that 33,000 tonne um, goes into human food, so like cereal and porridge and the like, and about 45% is for animal feed. So there, and 33,000 tonne, like, it, it's not a lot. We've got plenty more scope there. It, and to be honest, we need to be exporting and selling a lot for it to have a good impact on the land as well. Because, you know, say for our million litres, we'll be using about 160 tonne of oats. So that's not heaps. Um, so we need to, you know, really build up that the New Zealand oat brand story and mm. sell that to the world and start exporting a lot. Um, for us to have that good impact on land. But there's been 
incredible uh, response from you know the farming community and people, especially dairy farmers, who are already using oats to help soak up those nitrates. And so, um, yeah, I mean, for them, if they could use it and sell that for um, human consumption and get more money for it than what they're currently getting for feed, then that's all the better for them. Fantastic. And the product that we're seeing now, you've got two products, haven't you, under the Boring brand? One is for baristas and one is for kind of general home use. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it's as boring as that. It's <laughs> one, so we've got the barista uh, version, which we have developed with coffee professionals. We um, had a lot of help from the guys at Coffee Supreme who just you know, stress tested it on their machines and with their baristas and sent it out to cafes and just making sure that it works really well with their coffee in all different forms. So not just on the machine, but, you know, pouring it into um, filter coffee or having with a cold brew. So we tested it a lot because I was like, for me, the taste and performance was just the most important thing because there's plenty of um, you know, crappy plant milks out there and we don't need to add to that. So we have the barista variant, which to be honest, will be a bigger seller um, because as well, a lot of people with COVID are making more um, coffees at home. And so we've got, yeah, like a lot of people are buying this barista grade and the original one, it has less oil in it. It's more for your like smoothies and your cup of tea and cereal and the like. Well, thanks for that. Uh, I'm curious to know about the interest that uh, you're getting from oat growers. Uh, uh, is the oat industry, the growing industry, are they interested in what you're doing? And uh, do, do they get excited about the opportunities at the consumer end that you've been focused on? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's. I think a lot of farmers at the moment are very, very aware of you know their emissions and their soil health, and they're doing for the most part, majority of them are doing whatever they can to um, try and create a more sustainable farm for themselves. And the thing with oats is that it's like I, I said previously, you know, they are really good for the land. But one thing that now that we've launched that we really need to look into is looking at like how this is sustainable. And I'm not just talking about sustainability in terms of environment, but also financially and culturally too. And it's about, you know, not just looking at oats because there's no such thing as an, you know, an oat farmer. Um, oats are a part, you know, they're a good rotational crop. And so it's looking at this holistically and looking at what other crops do we need to be um, growing in rotation along along with the oats and with animals to create a diverse and, and healthy ecosystem that is gentle on the land and has low emissions. Um, so we're working with a group of um, leading crop scientists and technologists and like farm innovators from Canterbury who are working to convert 100,000 hectares of intensive land to diversified farmland. But yeah, it has to be it has to be a viable and exciting alternative for farmers because that's why far, a lot of farmers have gotten into dairy because it is a lot more profitable than um, than what other farming is. You know, with, with the climate crisis, like we need to be looking into this and looking into alternatives and it's about looking at the whole ecosystem and that yeah that isn't just what it's doing on the land but that's also uh, how it's helping the farmer in their back pocket too. In what way are oats good for the soil and good for the land in what way are they better say than agriculture? Um, oats require a very little water 
And so if you're comparing it to, I mean, if you're, to be honest, if you're comparing it to say dairy milk, it's, um, you know, to produce a litre of dairy milk, it, one litre of dairy milk requires 13 times more water than oats, 13, uh, 11 times more land, um, about seven times more fertiliser, and it is, takes about three and a half times more greenhouse gas, gas emissions than oats. So oats are, um, you know, yeah, they're really nitrogen hungry. They um, help soak up those nitrates that leach into waterways as well. And um, they've actually been shown to improve the yield of subsequent crops after them as well. So hmm. when we're looking at this, we're not just looking at it in isolation and just looking at that oat crop itself. It's how, again, does this work, um, work you know, as a bigger rotational, in a bigger rotational period and, and what is the net value to the farmer and also for the soil and for the land as well. Do you anticipate displacing any dairy? Do you think there will be conversions away from dairy to oats? Oh, to be honest, there has to be. <laughs> um, I, th- I don't think I, I, I don't think necessarily that oats are, you know, that a dairy farmer is going to convert their whole land um, to arable farming, but it's about sort of doing it in bite-sized chunks as well. It's pretty sobering stuff reading like the recent IPCC report on the state of the climate. And it's like undeniable that human impact has created the climate crisis. And like, you know, just as we got ourselves, dug ourselves into this hole, we've got to get ourselves out as well. Mm. And 22% of New Zealand's total emissions are from dairy cattle. And uh, so, you know, we need to wean ourselves off dairy. And although oat isn't a silver bullet, it's one viable alternative. So I see, I mean, yeah, if we can get more um, dairy land converted to uh, a more diverse farming landscape then that's great but yeah it's not necessarily going to be them just switching solely to oats obviously it's like how do we help these farmers and present to them an option that is um, sustainable both environmentally and economically i assume that oats need flat land i can't imagine harvesting oats on uh you know on hillsides yeah no you're right um, they do, and it's, it's especially for, I mean, it is for that harvesting process. So the combine harvester needs to um, get across a good plane of land. Um, so, yeah, we're looking, I mean, where oats grow best is Southland and Otago and parts of Canterbury as well. Um, again, mm-hmm. it's where the good daylight hours are and the good rainfall, um, you know, around Sheffield and Canterbury. But, yeah, it's not well suited to everywhere. So it's not like we're sort of saying... Um, yeah, that was sort of, you know, waving the magic wand and just saying like, everybody grow oats and it's going to be great. It's very specific <laughs> to, you know, it's, it's very specific to your farm and um, the setup that you have as well. And um, because, you know, like there, I mean, I'm from Taranaki and there, you know, on my auntie's farm, um, she grows a lot of oats, but to be honest, um, they get so much rain there that they have to harvest quite early. And so it means that the yield, I mean, the oat quality isn't as good and the yield isn't as great. So um, for her, it just wouldn't be a viable solution. So yeah, it is about looking at those, uh, identifying those parts of New Zealand that can grow oats. And and there are some parts in the North Island, like around the Napier Topor Highway sort of area, they've um, trial and growing some oats there and, and it's seemingly looking good. So 
yeah, plenty of scope. Mm. Uh, you would think Northland as well would be um, well suited to it, given just how sunny it is. Or is it not so much the sun as just daylight hours? Yeah, just daylight hours. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, has anyone done any research on what the sequestration potential is of arable crops? Yes, and that is something that we're looking into at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's, you know, the whole conversation around sort of sheep and beef farming and uh, like carbon, you know, buying carbon credits and planting more for that. So really understanding what what is the carbon that it can actually capture and and lock in. So, yeah, we're doing some work on it at the moment. Um, The data that we've gotten is um, mainly from the Northern Hemisphere. So we're trying to make Mm -hmm. it, you know, specific for here because the information that I've gotten is that it will be slightly different for New Zealand. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's something that we're working on. Yeah. How does one become an expert in oats? You've got a, I know you've got a background as an entrepreneur because you've you've launched a cracker brand and also you've worked as a barista, so there's your coffee knowledge. But um, how did you get into this? What made you think that um, a gal from Taranaki could launch a global brand? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a funny thing of like, how do you end up where you do? And I've I've touted myself as a sort of unofficial oat ambassador of New Zealand, but um, <laughs> someone has to be. Yeah, Might right. It's, I mean, and the funny thing is, is until recently, oats that you know they're not a sexy grain. That's it's not quinoa. It's like, <laughs> so it's um it's not exactly been the coolest thing to get into. But I, I mean, yeah, again, I'm from Taranaki, like farming background, and I have just got a very keen interest in, um, like a lot of New Zealanders, in New Zealand and our environment. And I mean, I did I did a business degree, and I always wanted to have my own business one day. But I knew it was around going to be around something to do um, with the environment and having a product that you know, was sustainable as well. And so I actually was living in Scotland um, on my OE about 10 years ago. And I just saw how many products they had using oats. And I was, I, I knew that oats were good for you. And I did some more research and, you know, and it was just like, wow, they're really good for the land as well. And why is it that in New Zealand, we only really, you know, mm-hmm. eat them for porridge and for cereal? Like why, you know, why aren't we using them with more products? And so you know, in Scotland, they had oat cakes and they had like oat whiskey and, you know, oat and the haggis and all this stuff. I was like, this is great. They've got multi-use for oats. So I came back to New Zealand and I started to make oat cakes and sell them at the local markets. And um, it, it grew, like, you know, it got picked up by the supermarkets and started exporting and got bigger and bigger and, and you know, started off just me like hand rolling out the oat cakes in the Ponsonby Community Centre kitchen during the day and then my husband would help package at night and um but yeah it got bigger and bigger and we we're in sort of 80 percent of supermarkets in New Zealand but I sort of took a step back and went and spoke to some farmers again about growing oats and understanding more about them and their needs and one farmer uh said to me he said um Morgan, like we'd love to grow more oats, but your fancy crackers just aren't going to cut the mustard. Like you are, not, <laughs> we're not going to do good volume from that. And and I was like, you know what? You're right. We're not. So I had to go back to the drawing board and think of what product are people consuming every day. And this was three years ago, and that's when I, you know, stumbled across some brands that were doing really well with oat milk overseas. And so I thought, let's let's do that. But yeah, it's all. I mean, it is funny how you end up 
where you end up but it's all come from a place of it just so happens that it's oats you know like to be honest it could have been anything that would help the environment and that Mm -hmm. we can add value to because again Mm. our classic problem in New Zealand is we're like you know sell commodities and it's volume not value and so how do we have a product that is like a great world-class brand and actually bring value to this crop or this this you know primary industry that otherwise is being commoditized Mm, exactly um the journey to get there that that's three years and probably more of being effectively you know underwater um how does one finance such a thing were you able to um bring in investors or have you funded it all yourself that you know it's a big task that you've set yourself yeah oh vincent i've had such a wild ride with um with investors because you know in New Zealand like we just don't have a great appetite for startups and especially not an FMCG like tech's a bit different because there is a a, a, you know greater scope but even then it's quite limited with the funding that you can get but uh, yeah investment for startups people typically go to sort of crowdfunding or something like that but I think because our um, process was so there was so much sort of secrecy around it and so much IP, you know, when you go into crowdfunding, you have to share a lot. And so I had to be yes. really careful um, with, mm. with all of this that, you know, we had to kind of, when we're developing this process that we, you know, I sort of had to retain as much IP as we could. Um, and so I started out, I spoke to some private equity guys and had them invest and they invested and did a, um, uh, what do we what do you call it a like convertible loan and but that was a disaster that didn't end up well and so then um then I had to go back out and find more investment and ended up partnering with another company and then they realized that New Zealand manufacturing was actually quite more expensive than what they envisaged and they wanted to get it made overseas so I was like no way that's a non-negotiable for me um so we parted ways with them and so then third time lucky I went out, and this is literally just May this year, so we're four four months out from launch. I, I and again, we're just bootstrapping it. Like every time, every step along the way, every little investment round, like we weren't getting huge amounts. It was just sort of enough for this kind of feasibility study, I guess. Um, but yeah, it came to May this year, and um, but here I had this product that was you know fully validated supply chain and process and the formulation was fantastic the branding was great and we had you know customers lined up like retailers so it was a pretty firm proposition by this point um mm. so i went out for investment again and again like you know raising capital it is full it is full on it is a big process and um but thankfully i sort of just had a conversation with my manufacturers the apple press and um I said to them, look, I'm raising capital again, just letting you know. Don't worry, I will pay my bills. I'm good for it, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then they sort of just tapped me on the shoulder and they're just like, what about us? And so, yeah, so we officially signed um, signed with them maybe about three months ago. That's fantastic. I mean, it does highlight really a need, doesn't it? Uh, that, as you say, the tech o- ecosystem is quite well funded now with uh, with angels and with a venture capital network. Um, the food venture side of the business is really unexplored, it feels to me. I, you know, there's obviously a huge amount of money in the in the mainstream, the dairies and the, the beef and lambs and so on. But what you're describing is uh, hard graft, hard scrabble to to get uh, a food brand up and running. 
Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, a lot of my friends who have got different brands, uh, they're in a similar boat as well. So they're having to look offshore, um, you know, to the States of VC funding and stuff like that, um, which is a real shame. Mm. You know, it would be great mm. to keep this money in New Zealand um, and keep ownership in New Zealand. But um, I think New Zealand investors are just, you know, a bit more conservative. And like for us, I mean, now that we've launched and everything's sort of been validated, now we're getting like people calling and sending emails. And <laughs> But that was not the case um, a few months ago or a year ago, say. So, yeah, it is really difficult out there and a lot. Like I pretty much spent three years consistently capital raising, and mm. so um, which may have took, taken up about 40% of my time, really. Um, but, yeah, so there is a huge gaping hole out there. Yeah, so there's a big opportunity for somebody to get into it. What does the near future look like? I mean, the long term, who knows? Do you have uh, a kind of a... A, pro- a series of products that you're going to be launching or is it all guns blazing for, for the two main brands that you've got going or two main products you've got going? Yeah, I mean, new product development is um, something that I'm really interested in. And uh, so, I mean, an obvious one is having flavoured milks and having smaller size, like ready to drink. So we will definitely um, be doing those. But also then even more exciting is sort of looking into products that are um, – I guess, more sort of like fortified elixir type drinks. So, you know, um, a big criticism around plant milks is that it doesn't have enough protein. So we're looking at ways that we can get um, the protein that we lose out of the process when we um, put it through the decanter and separate the solid from the liquid. When we lose that and we have that solid there, that solid um, that from the oat base, it's got a lot of protein in it. So we're looking at how do we get that convert that into their oat protein that we can then put that Mm. back into the product and sell that to markets like China where it is you know they're looking for really heavily fortified um, drinks it's almost like a nutritional supplement New Zealand and Australia we're different we're not it's interesting even though um, sort of a lot of dairy do or dyers have already criticized us about having low protein um, we've found that New Zealand Australian consumers aren't actually looking for protein in their milk. Like we already consume far too much protein as it is um, mm. per person, and so um, that's not really a protein, a, a significant protein source, and or what they're looking at for it. So yeah, so a lot of new products in the pipeline, predominantly milks. <laughs> Hmm. So it's thinking about the core product and then thinking about what extensions and adaptations you could do with that oat base. Well, there's just so many more things to learn, and I really appreciate the time you've given us. I know you're a, you're a busy person running this um, future global enterprise out of your lounge. Well done, Morgan. We, we look forward to hearing more from you very soon. Great. Thank you so much, Vincent. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the programme. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.